Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies, ways to transform our lives for better or worse, are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. This particular podcast has what I call a digest, a short summary of my thoughts and the highlights and the things I most enjoyed about it. You can find that at the end of this podcast. So you can either listen to the whole podcast and the digest at the end or just the digest at the end. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Today, my guest is Chris Berka, the CEO of Advanced Brain Monitoring. Chris, how are you doing? I'm great. Uh, Nice to talk to you. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. So can you tell folks, what do you guys do at uh, Advanced Brain Monitoring? Sure. Uh, Advanced Brain Monitoring is a medical device manufacturer. Um, We've actually been in business for 17 years now, and we have created a whole series of, uh, we actually have seven products, um, and they're all um, designed to be very mobile, scalable, easy to apply, comfortable for patients, Um, and these devices all quantify physiological signals. We focus, as our name suggests, quite a bit on the brain and the brain's electrical activity, um, the EEG, but we also measure many cardiac and uh, pulmonary, so respiration measures. We have measured things like galvanic skin response, which is essentially changes as a function of anxiety or arousal. Um, and, And we do a lot of work with um, accelerometers and actigraphs, um, similar to the types of things that are in your, in your phones, um, and then also look at uh, muscle activity. So, what I like to say is, if there's anything that you can measure non-invasively from the human body or brain, we've probably tackled that at some point in time. Um, and uh, our, go ahead. Have you have you uh, had a chance to debunk ESP or uh, telekinesis <laughs> because you measure the body? Um, so, uh, you know, we, we've done a lot of work with looking at groups of people together or specifically at, at dyads. So, um, looking simultaneously at two people's brains and, and hearts and, and you do see things that we call neural synchronies or physiological synchronies when people are, are getting along or having a conversation that is, that is very productive, you'll see certain signals in the brain and the heart that will tend to synchronize across those two people. So I think that's as close as we get to, you know, communication, changing communication or understanding communication between people. Does that make sense? Yeah, what kind of synchronies have you seen? Well, so there's a a long um, literature and history actually on cardiac synchrony in that you know, people who are are either a couple or in a group together um, or in a therapy session will tend to show cardiac synchrony, meaning their hearts beat not necessarily at exactly the same rate, but in in harmonic frequencies of each other. So there's what we call coherence across people. And about five years ago, we started looking at at the brains of people um, during team interactions and found that that we could identify certain um, team brain states that were indicative of whether the team would 
solve a particular problem or achieve a goal. And a lot of that had to do with whether their brains were synchronized, the brain activity was synchronized or, or desynchronized at various points. And you could identify members of a team who may not be in sync with the rest of the team because their brain activity um, reflected that. So I think that's a really interesting area. It's an area that we've kind of pioneered. Um, we're just starting to unravel what we might be able to do with that information. Yeah, what's your guess on what you'd be able to do with it? Well, I mean, we've already shown that we can uh, we can track when teams come together for the first time and they do training exercises over a six or a, or a twelve week period. We can track the the teams as they move from novice to expert. Um, and we've also shown that we can identify, we did a, a very large study with the Asadi Business School in, in Barcelona where we had um, 35 teams of four or five business school students solving an ethical decision problem. And in that, um, in, in that we were able to identify both um, who would emerge from the team as a leader uh, and what we saw there was that um, every time the emergent leader spoke, the team engagement levels would go up as measured by our EEG metric. Um, so the leaders were more engaging than uh, the, the non-leaders. And we, we showed that that was not related to how often people spoke. So sometimes people would speak frequently and the team engagement levels would go down. Um, so we think that you know that's a really interesting finding. It's been reported at the at the American Academy of Management, and we have a manuscript in preparation on that. What we also found in that particular exercise was that um, we have an EEG-based measure of empathy, and we found that teams that had one or more members exhibiting this this mark biomarker of empathy um, ended up saw coming up with more creative and more ethical solutions to the problem. So, you know, two important um, brain biomarkers for uh, team performance and team success. How much of an improvement in results or cohesiveness of a team or other metrics have you seen once a team, uh, you know, coheres or their, their brain waves align? Yeah, so we, I mean, the very first study we did was with high school students solving, team, team solving math and science problems. And in that experiment, which was fairly straightforward in that they had a kind of a direct path, each one of the team members had to contribute to the solution. And that was the first time that we were able to map about halfway through the the problem solving, we could identify from the just from the team brain states whether they were going to correctly solve the problem or not. Um, so that was a relatively really? simple experimental environment. Um, with the Asadi study, it was much more free form in that the, the teams just came together and discussed this ethical case, uh, which is a standard case study they do in business school. Um, and and there, as I said, we were able to identify the leaders and. Um, predict or come up with some assessments as to which teams would perform optimally on the test. What correlates with better performance? What do you see, literally? So that that was a combination of um, the empathy metric, which was directly correlated with the the creativity of the problem solutions, and and um, got the highest ratings on the ethical decision. 
Um, but we also saw that those teams with the highest engagement levels during the exercise um, came up with better, higher scores on the problem solving. So, okay, so it sounds like teams where, that had a good leader that was able to get people to engage more were able to solve the problems yeah. in a more creative way. Yeah, absolutely. And what we did with that data is we, we created um, little videos where we had the, the team exercises videotaped and then we had, we had little quantifications of who spoke and when and how much they spoke. And then we would play back for the teams so they could see um, when, they, when, you know, when they were speaking or other team members were speaking, how the team engagement levels changed um, and how that uh, reflected over time. So you can only imagine if you're on a team and you're speaking frequently and you see that your team's engagement levels are going down, that you might, might change. I mean, the idea is eventually to give people feedback based on, on these metrics so that they can change their behavior appropriately. Have you figured out any ways to get a team to cohere faster? You know, that's a really interesting question. So um, we have tried a couple different approaches. One, if you have the option of swapping out team members, so because we can, in, in the first 10 minutes of an exercise, we can see how coherent the team is. Um, if there's one person that's completely out of sync with the rest of the team and you have the option of swapping a team member, uh, that's one intervention. Um, but another intervention is if you're forced, I mean, in many cases, whether and some of this work was done for the military and some was done in the private sector, but you may not have that option. You may be forced to bring a particular team together. Um, and what we've tried there is actually giving the team members training to make their heart rates coherent. So by giving them essentially biofeedback, um, whether it's through visual displays or auditory or, or even uh, haptic or tactile feedback, to try to get them to bring their heart rates into coherence with the team. And that actually drives their brains into synchrony as well, if they can you know, achieve that. So that's one, just one exercise that we've tried, but it's something that we're investigating, you know, what kinds of feedback can we give the teams in a live environment to help them um, become more coherent and cooperative? Because it makes me wonder, if you have a team, one real simple way to make them uh, more effective maybe uh, to have everyone start out with a breathing exercise. Right, absolutely. To get everyone's heart coherence and then work on a problem that might That's work exactly faster. what we did yeah because as as you probably are aware breathing drives your your heart rate you know slow deep breath and if you do that together with your team members you it's much easier to achieve some heart rate coherence and then that leads to brain coherence so so there, it is a you know step-by-step -step process that can start with the breathing, which is the most most under your conscious control. Although we found most people can learn to control their heart and their brain um, with a you know maybe a half hour, an hour feedback training session. Well, about, let's, let's talk about that. So, yeah, what have you done in that area? What do people do? People want to lower their heart rate or 
control the variability or what do they want to do with their brain? What do they want to learn to uh, to do with the yeah, feedback? Yeah, so I mean the, 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 simplest, the simplest approach or exercises in, in so many of our studies, whether we're studying learning or or cognitive decision-making or cognitive decline, um, the, one of the biggest deterrents to learning is sort of that anxiety response where you have, you know, your heart is racing and you're afraid of the consequences, you know, so it's all negative emotional states. And so in most cases there, we're just teaching people to slow down their heart rate. And we do that, you know, through a combination of breathing exercises and feedback on, on heart rate. Um, and then do that first in a quiet room and then expose them, re-expose them to whatever the stress was. So, you know, if it's public speaking or the fear of failure in a, in a you know, chemistry experiment, um, to then try, teach them to try to maintain that control of their heart rate while they're in their stressor environment. Um, and oh, that's, always, that's always the next level of challenge. You know, so so we've worked with um, patients with PTSD, um, you know, number of military populations. Um, we've done some marksmanship training um, and always, you know, first training people to control their heart rate and their anxiety levels and, and you know, getting control over that whole cardiovascular respiratory function it is a great asset when you're going into any new training experience. Very interesting. What about um, control of your brain waves? Is there any uh, anything there that's useful? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, we've done a variety of things. One one project that we worked on that that DARPA funded was to accelerate marksmanship skill training and. There, um, we identified a particular brain state that was associated with taking a perfect shot. We were, we, we were right by Camp Pendleton here, so we had access to uh, a group of marine marksmanship coaches who were willing to come in and have their brains monitored, and we identified a particular, what we called the pre-shot peak performance state. And, and Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, and it, I mean, it was very consistent in the experts where... Just before taking a perfect shot, they would have a heart rate deceleration um, and and then an increase in the alpha brain activity over the left temporal parietal region and an increase in in the theta EEG activity over the midline. Uh, And so after we identified that, characterized it, we had um, a group of 300 subjects, that half civilian and half uh, Marines, the Marines all had some level of marksmanship training. Some of the civilians did. Some of them, uh, we came up, the, the Marines actually helped us develop a whole marksmanship training program. Um, and then we, tr- we took half of that group and we trained them using feedback to move their heart and brain into that expert state. So they had a couple hours of training um, and then they uh, picked up the rifles and went on, you know, to do the, the marksmanship drills. And what we found is, and half of them, half of the subjects, the control subjects, um, only had access. They could keep practicing. They could watch some of the videos that the Marines had, uh, but they didn't have any physiological feedback training. And what we found is right. that those who had the training, um, it, 
increase their marksmanship skill acquisition by a factor of 2.3. So it really made a huge difference in um, the ability to shoot accurately. So it's kind of, you know, after you learn how to use a rifle, it's that last step of, you know, really kind of screening out the environmental noise and focusing in on the target. Um, And then we we went over to the archery center and we we, uh, found that we we have a lot of Olympic archers who practice here in San Diego, and they have okay. pretty much exactly the same state as the expert marksmen just before they they pull the bow. Um, and and we also did a little bit of work with golf as well. So so any activity where you have to kind of screen out irrelevant distraction and focus in on a target, um, this particular brain state training works really well for. What is the training like? You know, when you, when you train someone to influence their brain waves and influence their uh, their heart, literally, what are you doing? Like, do you train them to breathe in a certain way, and everything comes from there, or to think well, about so, something? You know, we not? we so we have a really simple headband device that has um, four brain sensors and a heart sensor all in the headband, and then we have a variety of ways we can give feedback. So the feedback can be visual, it can be auditory, or it can be tactile. So um, for particularly for the marksmanship and archery, because they might want to practice out on the field where you, you can't give them visual feedback, or and for marksmen, you can't give them auditory because they have earplugs in. Um, so we had the, we built this little buzzer that is just like what's in your cell phone, a little vibratory buzzer, and you clip it onto your shirt collar, and the, it starts the feedback by buzzing you in concert with your heart. So that's your first cue. It's like, if my heart is racing, then I know I need to take some deep breaths. And we had, we came up with about eight or nine different strategies that people use to control their hearts. Um, Breathing is just one. Some people, you know, visualize a particular color that they find really pleasing or they visualize, you know, that they're on a beach or um, so. I mean, there's a number of different ways of achieving that control over your heart rate. But you know that you have to keep get that heart rate under control first. And then um, the way we designed it, that feedback is when you achieve the EEG or the brain state, it stops buzzing. So that's your cue to shoot. And and again, people did various, you know, exercises to be able to, to move their brain state towards that of an expert. Um, we found about 85% of people that we brought in for a day of training could achieve some control over their heart and brain in, in one day. That's great. Um, can you talk about any of the other methods? You said imagine a color that you like. Imagine yourself in a scene, like at a beach, uh, deep breathing. Any other um, mechanisms that work? Yeah. Really well? So I mean, we ha- some people just counting backwards, you know, or something very rhythmic like that was effective. Okay. Um, trying to remember some of the other things. Those are all I can remember off the top of my head. Deep breathing works best for most people, um, but sometimes that only works to con- to control your heart rate and then getting control over the brain some- some- sometimes requires um, focusing on something intensely. 
the you you know the goal is you want to shut down all the distracting thoughts <laughs> and that's not always really easy to achieve but the important gotcha. thing is that you learn to do it well enough uh, um that you can do that in any environment so with the marines for example the experts told us that they they were they literally had a, a switch in their in their head that they were completely aware of and that they could turn on even in a, a combat scenario that would just mm-hmm. allow them to go into that state you know sufficient to take the shot and then move on so you can imagine you know that's got to be the most distracting environment um, from a survival standpoint but you can achieve this control even under stressful situations huh. amazing so tell me more about the products you have. Um, you said you have a headband. Um, tell me a little yeah, about so, that. So we have, what other um, products do you have? So we have a number of FDA-cleared medical diagnostic products. Um, sleep is one of our specialties. So uh, we have several in-home sleep monitoring systems that you can use to diagnose sleep apnea. Um, you can use to assess different types of insomnia. Um, or to evaluate um, the sleep architecture. So how how long does it take to get you to get to sleep, and then how much time do you spend in the different stages? So deep sleep is really important, we know, for healing and, and memory consolidation. Uh, and then REM sleep is very important for creativity and, and also for linking your new memories to your old memories. Um, so you need you know, good proportions of all of those sleep stages. And we, so what happens is the, the uh, patient, we can either drop ship the devices to the patient's home, they can put them on themselves, and, and then they, they either send it back or they upload the data to our cloud portal, and then we can give a report to, to the sleep physician or the treating physician. Um, and then we have a number of different uh, daytime assessments. We've been focusing quite a bit on neurodegenerative disease, so Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, parental temporal dementia. Um, and there we do a combination of, of a resting state EEG so we can look at uh, you know, what happens when the patient has their eyes closed and are resting. And, and then we have a series of attention, memory, and learning tasks to stimulate those circuits in the brain, and, and then we examine the EEG while they're doing an attention task or a memory task or learning task. Um, and that's being used by a number of pharmaceutical companies in uh, evaluating new treatments for Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and, and frontotemporal dementia. And that works somewhat similar in that we can ship those systems anywhere in the world. Um, we can have, we have uh, technicians at the clinical sites that can be trained really quickly. They acquire the data and they send it through our cloud portal, and then we send out uh, a report on the result. So, for consumers, what have you seen are their biggest wants in learning how to work with their heart and their brain? What do they want to do? What kind of goals do they have? You know, I think anxiety is a huge issue. So, and there are some other, you know, consumer-oriented devices. Our devices are. For the most part, they require a prescription. Um, the training device that we built for marksmanship is probably our first step into something more that's non-medical, that doesn't require a prescription. Um, 
but it's still going to be a fairly expensive device compared to some of the consumer systems. But I think anxiety, um, we have been talking a lot to the business community about the about the team neurodynamics and you know how that that platform might be useful for improving team performance and that is a is a very large need across a variety of of sectors um, but we don't sell anything right now directly to the consumer what do you envision creating and uh, and selling either for this year or the next few years what are some goals you have what do you want to create? Well, I think one one really important goal with the Alzheimer's and Parkinson's is that we're, you know, in working with companies like Biogen and Ionis and J&J, we hope to be able to have really good EEG-based diagnostics um, that follow the drugs into the clinic. So you need a combination of, you know, you can have a great diagnostic, but we also need better treatments for Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Um, and then we would pair our diagnostic with a particular treatment. So identify the right patient for that treatment and then evaluate the effectiveness of that treatment. Um, and then the the teaming, like I said, we've been talking quite a bit now to a number of um, industry partners about how we might be able to use this teaming platform to both improve the team members and the team constituents, but also improve the team performance. So I think that's something that um, we're really looking over the next couple of years to, to have a product, uh, at least a product platform for. And then the other thing we're doing a lot of work in, in the sleep area to help people understand the importance of sleep for brain health. I think we're starting to get a glimmer of that. Ariana Huffington has been a great communicator in terms of understanding, you know, how important sleep is and how little we value it. Um, so, you know, a lot of our work in the sleep area is to try to educate both the public and the professional community on the importance of sleep. Yeah, I read her book on sleep. It was really good. Really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very important. And we're, I mean, we're learning now that there's all these links between sleep and neurodegenerative disease. We already knew there were links between sleep and cardiovascular disease and diabetes and, and obesity. Um, so, and it's something that, you know, society doesn't necessarily put a high premium on, but I think that, you know, we we just need to keep informing the public about how important sleep is. All right, so how can people um, find out more about your products and start to engage with your company? What's the best yeah, way? Sure. So um, our website is advancedbrainmonitoring.com, um, and there's quite a bit of information on there, all about our devices, um, lots of academic publications, um, and just general information. Well, that's great. Well, well, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. And, uh, sure, thank you. There's a lot for people to check into. You know? Okay, good. It's a pleasure. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. I've decided to start including a digest of the interviews I do clustered all at the same time. Uh, the digest will just give a few points from each interview that I found uh, particularly interesting or useful. And it's for people that may not want to listen to the entire podcast, may not have time, um, or just want to hear uh, what I took away from it. 
why would you want to hear what I think? Who cares about that? Well, I've done um, well over 160 interviews in the past um, five months. So I've gotten quite a bit of insight. In some industries, I've done uh, 50 or 60 interviews, like Bitcoin, blockchain. So I have a good overview of the landscape now in several industries and uh, the ins and outs, the ups and downs, and what all the players are doing. And therefore, I think my insight may be very uh, much of use to you. So my uh, executive summary, Chris Burka, CEO of Advanced Brain Monitoring. We talked about uh, their devices and how they can collect information on your brain waves, your heart rate, um, other biological factors, and help provide you feedback that you can take action on. And what I thought was fascinating about this interview is um, Chris had groups of people in a study, I forget the name, but um, they tried to work on a problem, either a creative problem or a technical problem. And they noticed that the first thing that happened is that the people's heart rates would come in sync. You know, they may not beat at the exact same rate, but they would actually beat at harmonic frequencies of the rate, which I guess is, um, you know, one heart may beat uh, twice as much as the other or uh, three-fifths or four-fifths you know, maybe very close together, but at certain specific intervals. And then once that happened, their brain waves would kind of sync up in a way. And it gets more technical in the interview, but um, what happened is, is that they could tell, they said, when groups of people, uh, they could tell who was the leader in the group, first of all, because they saw that when the leader spoke, other people in the group responded a lot more. Their brains actually responded a lot more when that person spoke, showing that that person really truly was a leader that was being listened to. And they also saw people in the group that weren't being listened to, that weren't um, moving the crowd or, you know, literally winning hearts and minds, literally, which is kind of funny. But that was amazing. They could tell when groups were going to solve a problem and when groups would not solve a problem based on the synchrony of their brainwave patterns and their heart rate patterns, which I think is absolutely fascinating. I'm sure this leads to all kinds of uh, benefits down the road where they can uh, help groups, again, come to consensus in meetings or brainstorm or uh, work together and point out the people in the group that aren't uh, working together with the rest of the group or who aren't effective. Or if you want to give a speech, um, let's say you get a focus group. Now you could probably look at the uh, brain waves and the heart rates of the focus group and see if what you're saying is resonating with them. Give you an example of your product or service and uh, you know, tell you if it's going to sell better or not. So I just thought that was really, really interesting. Uh, then we talked about uh, skill acquisition. She talked about uh, marine snipers and how they were able to block out um, noise and other distractions when they were about to take a shot to take what she termed the perfect shot. And I would guess if you use this feedback system, if you want to be a sniper or if you want to do any other task, you know, dancing, playing violin, uh, whatever it may be, <clears throat> you know, selling and you're able to block out distraction and train your mind and your brain to focus in when you need it to and train your heart to be under control so that you can control your anxiety, uh, you could be far more effective at what you do, whatever that may be. So that was really interesting, too. So I can see there's a lot of uses for uh, these feedback mechanisms. So that's the digest for today's interview. Um, hope you found it helpful. And again, I encourage you to listen to the entire podcast. But if you don't have time and you just want the quick lowdown, you can listen to this digest. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, both to review and discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.